0: For those of you who don't know, um, four years ago, Julian Adams, who is a prophet and a dear friend of our family, he um, gave us a prophetic word and he said that um, our family, um, that we are an apostolic incubating base and that God thinks of us and we need to think of ourselves as a greenhouse. And he said that the very thing um, that we've often felt is lacking in our church um, is going to begin to multiply in terms of evangelism in a very powerful way. And he said that we have not to ask who's going to be our evangelist um, because a greenhouse is not dependent on the external circumstances, but actually on the internal circumstances, which is where fruitfulness begins to flow. And he said that we have not to look for an external import, um, but we are going to begin to see that because of the internal soil, because of the fruitfulness that is already um, in the soil of our family, there's going to be a multiplication of many who will get saved. Um, And so I really felt today actually just to do a bit of watering and seed sowing into our soil um, in terms of evangelism. And really that is because that's what God's been doing in me. Um, I'm just going to read a story to you all first and then we're going to pray. So on the 29th of May 1914, a boat called the Empress of Ireland left the harbour. It was going from Quebec to Liverpool. There were 1,477 people on board. But in the middle of the night, it collided with another ship. Within 14 minutes, it was under the surface, and only five lifeboats were successfully launched. And apart from that, the only way to survive was to have a life jacket. A few hours later, rescue boats came and were able to rescue about 300 survivors. 1,012 people died. And when they started to listen to some of the stories, of these people that were got rescued in the rescue boats and a strange story started to emerge there was a group on board of 160 young people from the Salvation Army in Canada who were coming to a youth conference in London Um, and a lot of these young people had got hold of a life jacket often it was always you know kids often get given life jackets first in those situations and they were lying in the water and they realized there were so many people that night who weren't going to survive because they didn't have a life jacket on and one after another of these young christians started to do the same thing without anyone telling them no instructions for a leader they um basically started to instinctively based on their understanding of christianity um, they one after another took their life jacket off and threw it to someone else and so loads of testimonies of crying survivors came back saying I don't know why they did it and um, who would give their life for someone else I don't I didn't even know him or her um, but they've given uh, their life for me they gave me their jacket and I survived only one of the 160 young people that night survived um, and one of the most amazing stories that came back was of a 38 year old man who was fighting against the waves and he realized I'm gonna die tonight and I'm not ready I'm not ready to die And there was a young girl, um, about 18 or 19 years old, who was swimming towards him, staring straight at him and fighting to get through the waves. And when she got close enough, she took off her life vest and she threw it at him. And he he caught it, but actually, in in the inside, he's saying, I I can't take this. Um, You're just a young girl. And he shouted, take it back. And he threw it back at her. And she was furious, furious. And she threw it back at him. And she shouted words that he would never forget. Take it. I will die better than you tonight. If I die tonight, I know where I'm going. But if you die tonight, you're going down without the saving grace of Jesus. So 160 heroic young people. Could I have done that? Given my life for someone else, I'm not sure. Um, but actually, that's what Jesus says. Actually, greater love has no one in this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And it's what Jesus did for us. And actually, are we? Are we willing to lay down our life for someone else so that they can know him? Let's pray. Yeah, Jesus, I thank you that you came into this world to seek and save the lost. And I thank you that you found us. Thank you that we get to be in relationship with the Father. And I really pray today that as... um, I share, you just help me to communicate your heart and that God, whatever you want to do inside of us, we would give you the permission to um, shift our thinking um, capture our heart and speak to us really clearly. We just say, God, we're open to you and we're willing for you to speak to us and move in our lives however you want. Thank you, Father. Amen. And so sharing the gospel is something that um, I think it, back in the day you know it would often be like the evangelist would do it, um, but actually the purpose of evangelists is to um, to equip the saints for work of ministry um, and so it's an area in my life that I haven't felt particularly equipped in, so I am um, have been to Awakening Europe, which is basically a whole bunch of evangelists who preach the gospel and equip and activate you to go out in your thousands onto the streets to go and share the love of Jesus with other people. Um, um, So this year we were in Prague in July, uh, where 40 nations gathered, and we watched thousands of people give their lives to Jesus. Hundreds and hundreds of people get healed. Demons manifest and get kicked out like en masse. We watched, um, actually I experienced worship like I've never experienced in my entire life. There's something about being in that room with 40 nations worshiping God and the Holy Spirit just led us and the whole, the band couldn't lead us because the whole, however many 15,000 people with Holy Spirit were leading the worship ourselves, which is absolutely outrageous. So I would really encourage you, have a catch up, you can watch all of it on God TV um, and we posted videos on the Hope School of Supernatural Life Facebook page where I did um, daily updates so you can check them out. I'm also at the moment um, doing an online evangelism school which is both stretching and scary, particularly homework. Um, and there have been some questions that I have been getting asked um, and asking myself. Recently and also the past wee while, and I just want to ask, I'm just going to let you hear some of those questions because I think it will just help us today. If I'm not willing to share Jesus and his amazing grace, have I really experienced it? If I don't share the gospel, then do I really believe the gospel? Do I love people radically without hesitation, without question, without qualification, even if they have done nothing to deserve or respect my love? Do I love people because I know God and I know his heart for the person I'm speaking to? Do I celebrate what God has given me but do nothing with it? Do I believe in freedom and captives being set free but no one gets to see it? Jesus um, in John fifteen thirteen says, you are my friends if you do what I command. Am I willing to 100% yield his ways and what he asks me to do? I also said that the Bible tells us that I'm not my own and I was bought at a price and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Am I letting him? Am I representing Jesus accurately? Do my actions truly reflect that I am a believer? What needs to happen in me so that I can more confidently communicate the gospel? What if the person I meet today, it's their last day and I'm the last chance that this person has? Am I more concerned with the well-being of someone's soul than the preservation of my own comfort? And how many people have I personally led to Jesus in the past year? Now, I don't ask these questions to condemn anyone, but I ask them because I'm asking myself them. And actually, I think they're really helpful as a bit of a check-up of how am I doing as a believer in Jesus. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. And if anyone has seen me, he's seen the Father. The primary purpose of Jesus coming to the earth was to reveal the Father. And he said in John 6, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then in John 5, the Son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the Father doing. And then what I just what I was praying earlier: the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And then in John 20, Jesus says this, as the father has sent me, I am sending you. Which means that we have the same job description. And our primary purpose on earth is to reveal the father and to go after his kids. And Jesus was here to seek and save the lost. And actually he gives us that job description. I don't do the saving, I just do the seeking and it's the kindness of God that leads people to repentance. So what I want to do this morning is we're going to have a look um, at a few um, instances of where Jesus revealed the Father um, to see what we can learn from him, and then I want to share a story of um, what happened uh, last week and what God did in me. So um, I was at a Revival Alliance, um, so just I'll give you a bit of context about that uh, later. So we're just going to read first. I'm going to jump into a few scriptures this morning. So we'll jump about, but hopefully it'll all make sense um, at the end. So first off, Luke 5, 1 to 10. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said, Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When he had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. I'd love to have seen what that looked like. Um, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They, then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So you picture the scene. Peter and his crew have been fishing all night, and they have no fish, which means no money. I'm sure they're probably pretty grumpy. Um, And then Jesus, you know, he's in the boat and he's preaching and he finishes and he's like, okay, let's go fishing. And Peter's just like, can you actually imagine um, Peter trying to persuade his crew back on the boat? Um, They probably thought that he was crazy. um, And could you imagine actually, the thing about the Middle East or about any hot country is the fish are not at the top. So for one, the nets that they had were wet, not dry. Uh, which obviously makes it more difficult. But the fish would have been at the bottom, not at the top, because they're hiding from the sun because they're cold-blooded. Um, and so can you just picture the scene? You've got these all these other fishermen crews who've probably also been fishing all night and they're they're shouting, Look at Peter, he thinks there's fish out there. And he's thinking, actually, I don't. <laughs> and then he has to do like the row of shame out there, you know, for Jesus to and then off, you know, out he goes. And um, and he was he's a professional fisherman, but he says. Um, you know, because you say so, I will. And actually, the thing is that Jesus wanted to show him um, how good the Father is by giving him more than he needed. He didn't just fill, like, half a boat, or but, like, two full boats sinking. That was a lot of fish to weigh down entire boats. Um, And the nets began to break, two boats sinking full of fish. Why? Actually, it was to brand in their minds um, how Jesus anticipates the harvest, so Peter drops to his knees, begins to confess, and is so overwhelmed by the goodness of God, but actually it, it was blessing and prosperity that brought him to repentance. And so actually there was this one way where Jesus revealed the Father. He revealed the goodness of God, and it was the blessing and prosperity of God that led him to be like, uh, get on his knees and, and confess and repent. And then John 8, the woman caught in an act of adultery, Obviously, we know the story well. I'm not going to read it. And the religious leaders brought her out. I mean, she obviously was caught in the act, so she's not going to be very well clothed, I wouldn't have thought. Um, And brought her out to kill her. And Jesus gives them all the condition let him who's without sin cast the first stone. And actually, the only one who was without sin was him. And he refused to cast a stone. Because actually, what he wanted to do instead was to reveal the Father. And imagine that was your daughter. Any dad would want to, in spite of a moral failure or in spite of some humiliating thing, any dad would um, would actually just want to cover and love and you know look after their daughter and and she was lost actually and what what Jesus did was he modelled um, the love of the father and he said to her because actually the law was that she should have been stoned and what he says is neither do I condemn you go and sin no more. And so, instead of death, she gets disciplined with loving words. And then, Luke nineteen one to nine, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he could not see over the crowd. <laughs> I always find that quite funny. He's like we Zacchaeus can he see, and has to like climb up a tree. Um, and so he ran ahead, climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Um, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he is gone to be the guest of a sinner. Um, but Ezekiel stood up and said to the Lord, look Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. The thing about tax collectors in Bible days is that they were like super dishonest. They were like illegal stealers. They, they were meant to be taking money but they took way more than they were meant to. Um, they worked... Um, they were Jews, but they worked for the Romans, who obviously were the oppressive regime. Um, nobody really liked the Roman Empire. Um, and actually what Jesus did was he honored a man who was like the least honorable in society. Um, and because Jesus showed value for him, it brought him to repentance. I didn't talk to him about his sin, he just loved him, um, which is exactly what the father is like. Hosea 3.5 says, in the last days, people will fear God because of his goodness. And then Luke fifteen four to seven. So we're in a bit of a Bible jump. Um, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbours together and says, "Rejoice in me! I have found my lost sheep." I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. And so we were um, in Birmingham at Revival Alliance um, last week and an analogy that was given about the going after the one um, is this story which I was going to share with you which really um, hugely impacted me actually. Um, so Laurie Ar- Arnott Lawler, who is John and Carol Arnott, who they were there for the Toronto you know, Christian Fellowship when all the Toronto stuff was happening. And um, so it's their daughter and when she she got three children and when um her kids were young um that she was at a conference and there was like a meeting for the adults and then there was one uh, like for the kids and so that day the kids were going off to the beach with the kids group and so they you know her her kind of conference stuff for the adults finishes and she goes to go and get her kids and she goes to her eldest daughter and says where um where's jessica and the and the daughter's like oh I, i thought she was with you And she goes to the kids' leader and um, the kids' leader and said, "Um, where's my daughter, Jessica? And the kids' work leader said, I thought she was with you. And then they realize that my daughter's at the beach. And so she says um, that she got in the car, drove it like 100 miles an hour, left everybody behind and went after and got her daughter back, who was at the beach on her own, age seven. Um, And actually what she said was this, if anyone had said to her, it's okay you've got two other kids, just leave that one. <laughs> uh-huh. And actually that is how the father feels. Every He would, he would do anything for one of his kids. And actually the, the lost sheep is his, which is why it's so valuable. So Jesus shows us that it actually it can't be one size fits all. So we saw with the woman caught in adultery, we saw with Peter, and we saw with Zacchaeus, Actually, the way that he revealed the Father was unique to each person and whatever it was that they needed. Um, because every person is different. And actually that's what we need to be like. What is what is it that, that this person needs? Do they need healed in their body? That's the way that God's gonna reveal his kindness towards them. Is it that they need prayer for a breakthrough for a job? Is it that actually they just need to come into the kingdom because they're just they have no idea who they are? What what is the thing that's gonna lead them to God? Um and then John um, 4, um, 6 to 34. I'm not going to read all of it, but I'm reading from the New Living Translation. It says this Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at that time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if, only, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you the living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, don't you th- do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he? And his sons and his animals enjoyed. Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water, then I will never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. So the woman said, you must be a prophet. And then jump into verse 25. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who's called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. But none of them had the nerve to ask why. Uh, None of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her and why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well, ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. So I love this story. Um, And... We, um, we we were taught from this verse when we were away last week, um, down in Birmingham, and I think the thing that struck me about it was that. So Jesus, you know, they're, he's tired, he's weary, and the disciples are like, okay, well, we're just going to go and get food, and then like, we're, all of us will get well fed and strengthened. You know, you can get pretty grumpy and pretty tired if you're like lacking food, um, and. And so they come back, and they're like, you know, here's the food. And he's just, like, totally not interested in it. And they must have been like, are you having a laugh? Like, we've just walked all that way to get food for you. Because you were, like, tired, and we were tired. And now here we are, and, like, you're not even going to eat it. Um, But actually, Jesus, um, because they were urging him, you know, we're, like, urging Jesus must have looked like, eat some food. You need to eat some food. (laughs) And... um, (laughs) I just like to think about what the urging could look like. It's funny. Um, But Jesus said, my nourishment comes from doing the will of him who sent me. And the thing about nourishment that is so important is that doing stuff that God has called us to do feeds us because actually what it does is it stops us getting bored. um, It stops us drying up. And it stops us being like, like apathetic and thinking like the the church is a hospice do you know that the whole point of us getting saved is not to just sit around and wait for Jesus to return it's actually so that we can do what he to come here to be equipped and be and then go out there and be activated and do what actually we were put on the earth for and and so it's an equipping center it's not a hospice and actually we are we're meant to be out, out. We're not meant to be in. We come here to be equipped and then we go out. Um, and so actually, the thing that Jesus was saying here is that there is actually nothing that like, this nourishment, it feeds us in a way that like leading this person to Jesus has just fed me and nourished me in a way that no food can. Um, and so we heard this teaching last week and we were all like, "Whoa, whoa, food oh, food. Ah. And actually, if you haven't led someone to Jesus for a while, like, you actually can get to be that, like, Ooh, I'm a bit starving. I need to see some action. Like, I need to see God use me somehow. And when I, like, there's, like, you hear that, people say, like, there's no high, like, the most high. But there's something about, like, actually doing what God put us on the earth for that just gives you this, like, internal, ah! And you just get so excited, you literally feel like you could in, you could explode or burst. And actually, that thing that God does in you is what you were born for. But if you have not had that at all in your life, or rarely, what that means is you're just going to get bored, and you're going to think, oh, can't be bothered with this Christianity thing, and sin looks quite attractive and appealing. But no, you weren't, do you know what I mean? It's like, because you're bored, it's the enemy, it's easy to be lured into all the nonsense, because actually you don't know who you are because you're not doing what you were born for. And the thing that, that, like, I've said this before from here, but the disciples, they were disciples. So Jesus sent them out and, and then out they go. Disciples are sent out, do, do, do. And they come back and it says, the apostles returned. But before that, they were disciples. And there's something about going and doing what you were, you, going out and doing what you were born to do that lines you up in the inside with what your purpose on the earth is and actually stops you doing stupid stuff like getting into sin because you're bored because that seems a bit more attractive than the Christian life. That is not the point of you being saved. The point is actually for us to bring uh, other people with us on the journey. So I just want to tell you a story, if you could bring that. Actually, maybe not. Not yet. Hold on. Sorry. So we... we um, <laughs> just keeping your, your toes. Um, so we um, got super excited about this verse and who knows? So we then... Get, we had prayer... And we had received an impartation. And the thing about impartation is you get it in seed form. You don't get the full thing. You get it as a seed and you then have to go and activate it. And so we leave the venue. Off we go out for lunch. And um, we literally get out. So we we exit the building, walk out through the car park and onto the road. And on the corner, um, there's this man coming towards us, a homeless guy, who approached us um, looking for money. Now, we've just heard this message. We've just had a prayer of impartation. <laughs> um, so, um, so we get chatting to him. Um, we don't say, yes, we'll give you money straight away. We just started to talk to him about Jesus and um, asked him if he had any pain in his body. It turns out that he um, had um, re- like a problem with his leg um, and had a lot of pain and lack of movement in it. So um, we pray for him. Um, all the pain leaves and he gets like more movement. Um, improves. And then um, we actually, um, we asked him if he wanted to invite Jesus to come and make his home inside of him and uh, to be born again. And he said yes. So we led him to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, we prayed for him to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And uh, what was hilarious during this time is that twice his phone rang. And as it rang, like the song that the, the, the phone was singing was, I just called to say I love you. <laughs> twice, twice. Twice while he was like getting saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And actually, it happened when we were like, why don't you just like listen? We're training him to hear from God himself. And then that played on his phone. So funny. And so then Simon um, has a word of knowledge um, that turned out to be the name of his son who he was estranged from. And so we got to pray for reconciliation in that relationship. And then we watched his entire demeanor change through this whole thing. And by the end, he was beaming, huge grin on his face, tears in his eyes. And if you want to show the photo, that would be great. Yep, there we go. So that's him there. Um, And the incredible thing was that the story doesn't end there. So we gave Mark some money. And then the next morning, so that was the afternoon, the next morning we're on our way to the conference again and who's standing on the exact same corner, almost as if he's waiting for us. My mum and I are there and he he basically came up to us and we're like, how's your leg? And he's like, amazing, no pain. And he's showing us like how good his leg was. And he said, you know... Um, thank you so much for the money that you um, gave me I was able to get somewhere to stay last night and he said and today I have an appointment um, to go and see about getting a flat and we're like right we're just going to pray about that right now and so we pray for him about this flat and just release favour over him and declare that he's going to jump to the top of the pile and he's going to get this amazing flat and just totally went for it praying and he was just like okay thanks and then that was that morning and then the following day in the evening was our last night and it was a free evening, and we'd said, "Hey, you could come along," and we kind of like had a bit of a lookout from. But you're in a room with like 2,000 people; it's really difficult to find people. I didn't really see him. I thought, "Oh well, maybe he didn't come." And so the whole evening happens, and then there's a fire tunnel, and there's loads of people trying to go through. And so we get through the fire tunnel, and we're taking our belongings with us. So we exit the building. Now, just imagine the orchestrating that God has had to do for this to happen because fire tunnel and how when you get in when there's like thousands of people pressing towards this one entry of a tunnel um there's a lot of waiting around and as we exit the building who do we bump into at the door but mark and he says um that um he got a flat and (laughs) and that night That night, he connected with a Christian um, who was uh, from a church in the city center and Mark was going along to church with him the next morning. Um, So let's just praise Jesus. (laughs) The thing is that we need to get Father's heart for his kids because people are searching and hungry. And actually, it's harvest time. We regularly go in the streets of Glasgow, and people do not people don't refuse prayer. No one ever says no to me anymore because the day has changed. Um, <laughs> well, no, I'm really nice when I meet people in the street. Honestly, I'm not—I'm not scary at all. Um, and but the thing is that when it's harvest time, like when when there actually is harvest, everybody has a part to play. The kids get involved in getting whatever and picking stuff up and whatever apples and fruit or whatever and so actually um we all have a part to play and there are people that you can reach that I can't and vice versa um and actually that people people need the truth of the gospel and the truth of who the father is revealed to them um whether I feel comfortable or not that is not what this is about um and I was looking you can look at this yourself but um there's a thing called the Joshua Project which kind of gives statistics of Christianity across the world and um, what they reckon is that more than 2 billion people have never heard the message of the gospel and one crazy statistic from the World Christian Encyclopedia is that 81% of all Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus in the world, 81% of all Muslims, Buddhists and Hindus in the world do not personally know a Christian follower. And the thing is that Jesus is like the only way and the only truth and the only life. And I've said this before here, we've got all eternity to worship Jesus together. We've got all eternity to receive teaching from Jesus together. We've got all eternity to like learn and whatever that we need to learn um, from him. Um, but, and to fellowship together, actually, we've got all eternity to do that, which is quite exciting. But actually, we've only got one lifetime to demonstrate the love of the Father. Um, And the thing is this, that you were never created for you. You were created for him. And what that means is that we have to give up living for ourselves. We can't, I can't just do what I want to do with myself all the time. Actually, I need to be like, what what do you want, Father? What do you, who do you want me to meet today? Who do you want to put across my path? What do you want to do? And and actually there is, every time we meet people, there's always someone who needs to hear about Jesus. There's always someone who needs to be healed, who needs to be, do you know what I mean? Like, and if they're not going to hear it from me or from you, like who are they going to hear it from? <clears throat> Our primary purpose on earth <laughs> is to reveal the father, to leave the 99 and to go after the one. But I, and the other thing is this, I was thinking about this, that it's not, it actually isn't possible to demonstrate the love um, of the Father, the love of God without his power, which is why um, Jesus told um, the disciples to wait in Jerusalem until they've been clothed with power from on high. And so if you have never had an experience of, of Holy Spirit coming on you in power, or you knowing actually that I have got God in me, on me, and in power in my life, I would just encourage you to get someone to pray for you when they could do that this morning. So the question is this, am I willing... To let the Father's heart, to let the Father God break in my heart for her, f- the way that he feels about his kids. To break his Father's heart, break mine. And i am I willing to let him give me his heart for the lost, for his kids? When I was at a Revival Alliance, I had um, an encounter with God where I actually um, stepped inside of his heart and got to feel how he does for his kids. And he, he asked me this question. He said, will you go and get my kids? And will you pull in the nets? How will you respond? Um, And actually, I want to invite you to respond today. I really felt to do this. Um, So if you know that you actually need to get Father God's heart for his lost kids, and you actually want to be more concerned with them being found than your own comfort, and actually you're willing to say, yes, I'll I'll do anything you want me to for your kids, then actually what I'm going to do, I'd like to pray for you. And so I would want to invite you to stand, actually not for me, but to respond to him. And then we're going to pray. Um, and also, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet, um, there's going to be an opportunity for you to come to know him um, before the end. Um, so I'm going to pray. But if you, if you want to stand, so if you, if you actually feel like I, I need to get God's heart for his kids, um, I need to be more concerned um, about him and what he thinks than my own comfort. Yeah, Father, I thank you that you desire to show the world around us your incredible love and you desire to do it through us and I want to pray that all across this room you just awaken love in our hearts Father that you would give us your heart for your kids and that your love in us wouldn't be able to be contained and wouldn't be able to be controlled and that everywhere we go that your love would explode out of us Whether we're at home, on the bus, in our workplace, at college or uni, in a restaurant. Father, I pray that you would let your love so consume us that the fear of man has no place in our lives. And I'd like you to repeat this after me if you're okay doing that. Father, I give up living for myself. And I yield my life to you. I choose to live for you from now on. I will be more concerned that your kids are found than my own comfort. I respond to you today, Father, and say, yes, I will go and get your kids. I will pull in the nets. And I will do anything you want me to for your kids. Amen.